0: back to Property Matters on iProperty Radio with myself, Carol Tallon. You can contact us on social media at iProperty Radio or email hello at iPropertyradio.com. First up today, I'm joined by Fred Logue, a Solicitor and Specialist in Planning and Environmental Law. Fred, you're very welcome. Thank you for joining us today.
1: Thanks very much, Carol. Happy to be here
0: and um, fred i'm i really want to talk to you today because look um our our planning regime um seems to make headlines almost on a, on a weekly or biweekly basis um but obviously there's talk about a new uh, court or a new division of the high court that will deal exclusively with uh, planning and environmental issues so that's w- what we'd like to cover today but i suppose because your expertise is in the area of planning and environmental law. Uh, May I just ask the question first? First, does our planning, current planning regime, does that work?
1: Uh, Yeah, like I think we forget that about 10 years ago, we had a planning system that actually delivered 90,000 houses that were built. So there's nothing wrong with, in my view, there's nothing wrong with our planning system. It works perfectly. you know, at the height of the Celtic Tiger boom, we were we were building a lot of houses and granting a lot of planning commission uh, without any fast track or streamlined processes. So I'm a little bit skeptical that there's actually anything wrong with our planning system, uh, that the issue with housing delivery is, pro- is probably being unfairly laid at the door of the planning system, in my view.
0: Okay, well, obviously, um, there, w- there would be two counter arguments to that. One would be actually the results of... Uh, the planning that was delivered when we were when we were delivering ninety thousand homes per year—that these were essentially maybe the wrong units in the wrong place. You know, there wasn't that data-driven approach. But I appreciate there wasn't a data-driven approach to anything back then, kind of fifteen years ago. It, it was a different time. Um, so that would just be one of the the arguments. Um, but the second one, of course, would be that you know now we have. Um, We have a greater community involvement, um, which, by the way, is good planning is a public function and arguably we didn't make it as accessible as we ought to have in the past. So are we seeing essentially over the past, particularly five and six years, are we seeing the, um, I suppose, the fallout of not encouraging the community to engage fully and understand our planning process.
1: Uh, well, I think, again, the first thing to recognize is that the Irish system, has always, or for a very long time, has had public participation. So, which predates the IRS Convention, predates uh, public participation under EU law. Uh, we've always had that. We've had an independent appeals mechanism via Bor penala since the mid-70s. So, again, like, I, I disagree that we're seeing greater public participation. Uh, we're, just, we're just seeing that people are publicly participating, maybe, in, in more effective ways. But again it's, not, again, it's not something new in our planning system. We've always had it and public participation has always been viewed in the Irish context as something that's beneficial. So, you know, I think we can be very short-sighted in actually looking at our planning system and, and trying and looking at things that are apparently novel, but which have always been a feature of it.
0: Well, speaking of features of our planning process, has litigation always been this much of a feature of our planning process?
1: Uh, Well, it it has. um, There's always been judicial reviews of planning decisions. Um, Now, there have been reasons why there has been a suppression of that up until around 2011, when our House Convention obligations kicked in, in that there was huge cost risks associated with taking planning cases. So I I don't view it as as a kind of an increase or a kind of an upsurge in litigation. What I see is that there was a pent-up body of litigation that wasn't taking place because people were prohibited by prohibitive costs. So I think what we're seeing now is is more of the natural level of litigation rather than anything that's, that's um, you know, something that's unusual or that shouldn't be happening.
0: Okay, well, maybe talk to us about um the new court, or uh, uh, again, I'm I'm using the terminology a new court, but it really is just a division of the High Court. You know, maybe similar to what we might see in the commercial courts. So, can you talk to us maybe about the purpose of the new court?
1: Well, um, I think what what it, I think what it recognises is that litigation is actually part of our planning system. I think that that needs to be acknowledged first. That we have a it's a system of planning that. Spans quite a lot of different activities in terms of consultations, public participation, litigation, enforcement, and so on. And you know, the judicial review or access to justice is just one part of that system. Um, you know, so the, if there's to be an environmental court, we have to look at it in that context. What what role does it play in the overall system? What's it meant to deliver systematically in the planning system? Now, I think it's a good idea to have a a planning, an environmental planning court, because it does recognize that judicial review is part of that system, and it it has to be under EU law, under the IRS Convention. Now, the issue I have is nobody's articulating what that mission or what that goal or what that role is within the system. So there appears to be a lot of unarticulated assumptions behind this announcement, which we just don't know. So... You know, uh, do developers think that it's, it'll be part of the, the crackdown on judicial review? If, if that's the case, then I'd be quite worried that uh, we're actually kind of subverting the judicial system in order to achieve some kind of political goal. On the other hand, is it meant to ensure that we have a greater degree of sustainable development in the country? That would be a welcome thing because the planning system, after all, is, as a matter of law, is required to deliver sustainable planning and development and environmental protection. That's what the system under the Planning Act is meant to deliver. So I would be interested to see how an uh, environmental court plays a role in delivering that uh, and does so in a way that enhances the system and, and isn't, you know, isn't proceeding on a kind of presumption or on an unarticulated assumption that it will deliver something else. So I think that's it's very important that we surface that, that there's a debate about that and a discussion about that before it starts.
0: Yeah. Look, I I think that that's a very fair point. I mean, certainly, I haven't heard it put forward that this is a way to circumvent and um, judicial reviews at all. In fact, what I'm hearing um, are things like uh, to speed up delays in the process, uh, to get clarity. Um, you know, and, and all of those things are welcome. But as a, but I, I that's a really fair point that you're making. You know, we don't we don't know the nature of this court yet, and what it's what its mission is likely to be. So, as a practitioner, what would you like to see?
1: Uh, Well, I would like to see that. So what what practitioners want is legal certainty. So we want to know what the law is and what it means and how it should be applied. So if you look at if you look at delays in the court system, by and large, they arise from legal uncertainty. So I don't know what that provision means. Uh, A competent authority doesn't know how to apply a particular planning policy or planning uh, requirement. Uh, I don't know what my cost risk will be at the start. So I can, I can tell you now from my own personal experience, the big delays in the SHT litigation are down to two things. One, there's an appeal in the Supreme Court about how, what kind of documentation is required for EIA screening. Uh, and that's basically delaying probably 20 cases. And then the second source of delay is that with the decision of the Court of Appeal in October of last year, the cost regime has been thrown into a huge degree of uncertainty. So people are now trying to figure out through court applications what their cost risk is. And we have to remember that EU law, uh, it gives litigants the right to have reasonable predictability about their costs. So, so those kind of legal, those uncertainties in the system is what causes delay, primarily. Uh, before that, up to the middle of last year, cases were moving along on a six to nine months timetable. And you can kind of more or less gauge how long would, they would take in advance. Um, so those, those two things are primarily the reasons why we're having delays at the moment. Okay, uh, you know,
0: it, it's interesting when you talk about uh, practitioners wanting legal certainty, because obviously that's what uh, developers want, it's what the community wants, it's uh, no doubt what the local authorities and state planners want as well. You know, the, this um, a, a more certain structure would benefit everybody across the planning ecosystem?
1: Absolutely, yeah, and stable legislation. So... Every time the legislation has changed, there's a raft of litigation. It's, it's inevitable because the legislation very often tries to do things which aren't compatible with EU law. So it tries to compress public participation. It tries to um, avoid environmental assessments or to, to you know, kind of, kind of push, the, push, the, push the limits what's required. So if the legislation just stayed stable You know, see, what it's natural that every time something changes, something new is introduced, there is litigation to figure out what it all means. That's that's a normal part of our system. But the problem is, if you keep changing things, that cycle just keeps on repeating itself over and over again. And those issues have to spend years going through the courts to figure them out. Whereas if we just said, this is what our system is, this is how it works, and we're not changing it, we're going to stick with it, uh, there'd be probably a factor of, 50% or 75% less litigation because everyone would know where they stood.
0: Yeah, look, is it a case through our planning? You know, I I can remember more than two decades ago, reform of uh, planning was promised. And one thing uh, about reform is that you almost take a step back and look that if we were designing a system from scratch is this how we would design it today, whereas what I see at the moment is a huge amount of tinkering around the edges, so that actually it's really contrary uh, to the law of complex systems we're making, uh, we're making a, a complex system even more complex which makes it more vulnerable, more brittle, more likely to break, uh, less usable, less agile. You know. So, have we gone about planning reform as it was promised two decades ago? Have we gone about it in the wrong way? Should Should we have been looking at something more radical? And 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 the way we're approaching it now, are, are we essentially digging a bigger hole for ourselves?
1: Well, it's a bit like Father Ted when he gets the car with a little dent in it, and
0: That's he exactly gets, what I takes, was thinking about. He takes Brent. out his
1: little hammer and starts <laughs> tapping at it. And suddenly the whole thing is a mess. And Dougal says, you know your problem, Ted, you're just a perfectionist.
0: But honestly, do you know? I genuinely, when I asked the question, <laughs> I had Father Ted's car in my in my mind because that's exactly what it feels like. It feels like we're making it so much worse with every step. And by the way, I think the same could be true. I um, said of our our uh, um, rental, our private rental, and uh, some of our social housing measures as well. I think sometimes we make things so much worse. Whereas if we had the the bravery, maybe even the political courage to stand back, look at it and say, well, if we were started from scratch, this is not where we would be. This is not what we would design and actually take bold action. And it feels to me like there were so many opportunities to do that from um, the early days of the crash. So many times over the last 10, 12, 13 years ago, we've had the opportunity to get things right. And we almost doggedly didn't. You know, we, it's like we double down on our mistakes.
1: Uh, yeah, like we have a planning code now that's, that spans fifteen hundred pages if you printed it out. Uh, that is, seems to me, is amended on a monthly basis. Um, it, it's just an absolute mess, and it's very hard. Like for example, that case I, I was talking about the EIA case. The, like the reason that happened was that they put in a, a special provision for SHDs on EIA screening that isn't in the normal procedure for SHD screening. Uh, but the problem is nobody told anybody. The uh, uh, consultants didn't know about it. The board didn't seem to know about it, and it's only because I read down to uh, Article Two Hundred Ninety Nine B on Page Five Hundred of the Planning Regulations that I actually spot it. So it's it's things like that, you know. We we, we we like we're just not taking care of you know making the law understandable and transparent, and which with obvious consequences that people. Are overlooking things, are not aware of things, and then uh, when somebody actually spots the error, kind of all hell breaks loose because now you've got twenty or thirty cases all caught up on this single point that could easily have been avoided if somebody had bothered to sit down and read read the read the legislation yeah. and actually figure out how to actually implement it in, in the board. So, you know, you know and then we we get blamed, our applicants get blamed then for taking cases for delay yeah. and stuff like that. But it, it's it's not it's. <laughs> it's not our fault, like we didn't, we didn't tell people to make the law exceptionally complex, or we didn't tell the board to ignore a legal provision or to interpret it in a particular way. So it's not, it's, it's, and, and like the courts are there to actually figure those things out, that's what, that's what they're there for. But applicants tend to get, to get all of the blame uh, and they're, they're supposed to be the bad guys. Um, but it goes back to my point that the planning, it's a system, it's a systematic approach So public participation is part of the system, litigation is part of the system, competent authorities are part of the system, and so on. So you you can't just look at one little bit that's annoying you. If there's a squeak in your car, it might not be the squeak, it might be something else. So...
0: Um, yeah, it, it occurs to me there. You know, we spoke earlier about um, public consultation and how planning is a public function. But actually, what hope do the to do members of the community, lay members of the community, have in understanding this when the experts and the board struggle to do so? That that tells me we have a system that doesn't work. If the people who are supposed to derive benefit, uh, who are the community actually don't don't uh, understand it and the experts administering it don't understand it you know so again um that feels like a fundamental flaw but uh, you know you touched there on uh, shds we know now that uh, we're coming to the tail end of those we're coming into the the new um lrd system given the actions by the office of the plan uh, the planning regulator recently um you know, there's been talk that the moving from SHD to LRD is really about giving control back to the local authorities. However, if the OPR is going to uh, intervene in the way that we see them starting to intervene, are we really just transferring administration and not decision-making?
1: Uh, well, the OPR is a different role. It, it doesn't have any role in the individual planning decisions. It's more strategic, um, and their interventions tend to be at the development plan.
0: Yeah point. but because the whole idea um of moving to this um to the new system for uh, large scale residential developments is to bring the decision making back to a local authority level and that ought not to be done on application by application basis but rather through their city and county development plans so if the OPR can intervene at that level they are actually impacting every application that comes under that those county and development plans
1: Yeah but like we have a, a hierarchical tiered planning system. So the idea is that the NPF flows into the regional spatial economic strategies that flow into the development plans and local area plans, and that there's a consistency, an upward consistency. So it's it's against the law to make a development plan that's inconsistent with the NPF. Um, so that, that's an important part of our system. That's what the system we have. You may disagree with it, but that's the way it works. So as you go down into the different layers and the tiers, the the level of detail increases. So the NPF says nothing about a particular planning application. It it basically sets out kind of population targets for different areas in the country. Uh, And then that's distributed within the uh, the, the RSEs and then at a local level in the development plan and local area plans. And then there's a methodology then for calculating the, the kind of population targets for different counties. So that's an important, an important, and very important system, systematic aspect or structural aspect of our planning system. And it's not a theoretical thing. Like the, the national development plan investment then is linked to that. So if you if you go outside of that, your your investment isn't there to support re- development, infrastructural investment. So the infrastructural investment. Uh, plan is based on the npf and people forget this so that means and, and and that and that flows down as well with the development plans so if we start going outside development plans we're going to be building stuff for which there's no infrastructure uh, budget simple as that and that's why the development plan is really really important so all of these attempts to materially the development plan are disastrous in my view because you know the it, it, it's, not a, it's not a coherent planning system if, on a case-by-case basis, you can just decide to not follow the development plan. Because you're um, inevitably going to build residential development in areas that don't have uh, infrastructural investment earmarked for it, and you will end up with very poor planning outcomes.
0: Fred, I, I would love to have more time to spend actually discussing that because I, I feel like that's almost part of a larger conversation um, leaning more towards the ideology. Maybe that's been impacting planning, but just because I'm conscious of time now, and we we need to wrap up shortly, just in ter- in terms of the, the new court, uh, do we even know, by the way, what that new court is going to be called? And uh, Do we know, is that definitely happening or is it just been mooted?
1: It's hard to know, like, um, you know, it's very hard to know because uh, a, a lot of the publicity about it is coming from leaks or whatever. Okay. And, you know, my concern is that it, the, the articles in which the planning court are mentioned are also articles talking about, uh, you know, making it harder to take judicial reviews, making it more risky. So, like, it seems to me that the, the kind of messaging that's coming out from whoever the junior minister is, is that this environmental court is kind of wrapped up with those kind of schemes to kind of crack down on JR. And I think that's, it's just gonna backfire because if you, try and, if you try and suppress something that's a legal right, it'll just cause more litigation. But like, I do think that an environmental court is actually a very good idea personally, but it has to be set up with a proper mission. It has to be well-governed and it has to have resources. Uh, so, and that, needs, and that needs to be defined in advance because if you start off in the wrong direction, it's very hard to pull it back. It, it could fail, you know? If, particularly if it gives rise to actually more kind of pointless litigation.
0: You know, and, and actually, I, I I did want to talk to you about the potential jurisdiction of this court, but, you know, it strikes me that it's much too early to be having that conversation, and maybe we might touch base at a later date when there is some solid information around this, and maybe then we can explore the jurisdiction and see, are we starting out on the right basis? And- yeah, well,
1: well, I think what it does, it needs to have the, an adequate like jurisdiction, and I think, you know, putting it in the High Court, it, it only solves part of the problem, like the there's, a, there's it's very hard to enforce planning and environmental law at a local level through the circuit court. um High court is expensive. it's it's the most expensive jurisdiction. Uh, so the you know you know that again, I, I think that the proper jurisdiction should be something that's up for grabs or it could be that it's has multiple jurisdictions. It has a local jurisdiction and a national jurisdiction. but i, I you know again, it's just been thrown out there that it's going to be a division of the High Court. So the question is, why is that? Have you looked at what disputes should be there or what disputes should be elsewhere and figured out how to have an adequate jurisdiction that's kind of proportionate? So the procedures and the costs are proportionate to the dispute. So, uh, you know, I think that's important because, um, you know, you don't don't want to be going to the High Court to have a litigation over a very small project or a very small uh, enforcement case
0: Fred um, I heard you I heard you say on on another show recently the forum has to match the fuss. I thought that was pretty perfect.
1: Yeah exactly yeah. So um that's exactly what I'm saying in a very roundabout way there. Yeah. And, and that concept comes from the New South Wales Environmental Court uh, where the chief judge gave uh, a presentation before Christmas and actually kind of set out some of the things I'm saying here that you know you you have to you have to basically Cut your cloth, to, cut your measure to your cloth or whatever. Yeah. That, that, and again, it goes back to this kind of proportionality. So there's no point having a very long, expensive procedure to deal with something that can be done on a summary, summary basis or a much quicker basis.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Fred, may we pick this conversation up when we have more information over the coming weeks?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. My apologies for rabbiting on.
0: <laughs> no, I, I, this is great. Well, actually, to be honest, I, I would love to get into potential jurisdictions and things like that, but you know, we, we can see that it's just too early there. But um, as a practitioner, I'd love to see your reaction when we do have greater clarity around not just the purpose of this court, but the jurisdiction as well, because I'm mm-hmm. sure you've heard the same uh, as I heard, have that um, environmental concerns are often put forward as an excuse as well, um, or they're put forward as maybe... Um, being one thing that's presented but might not actually be the reality a little bit like uh, it's never about what it's about people are using environmental issues to mask other hidden agendas and um vested interests so that's why I think actually this particular court it will be really important to go through the jurisdiction what does and doesn't come under its remit, because actually that will essentially um, tell us how it's likely to impact the community, um, the residential community, but also the development community that's trying to deliver these homes.
1: Yeah, like, the, well, the, the kind of thinking in the courts now has moved away way on from there. And like in a recent judgment, Kelly versus Borepanola, the court recognizes that there is an alignment of public and private interests. Mm-hmm. and And it says that's a good thing because it actually delivers environmental protection. Okay. So if somebody cares enough to actually spend the money to take a high-court case and they're not cheap, uh, then the benefit accrues to everybody if they actually point out issues with, uh, with, the, with environmental protection. Uh, like, and again, you know, a lot of the commentary on this is not coming from people who actually know what's really going on. Uh, if you look at, say, the SHGs, in 100% of the cases, they concern, or 99% of the cases anyway, they can really concern material contravention in the development plan. So they are planning issues, and they are planning issues that have a real and tangible effect in a community. So, for example, issues around public transport, issues around uh, density, height, car parking, children's uh, uh, childcare, schools, uh, and uh, if you just if if anyone bothered to ask or to, to find out, they would see exactly what the issues are, and they're they're not kind of people who are basically free freeloading on environment on. You know insincere let's just say environmental concerns
0: yeah no look uh, uh, th- that that's a fair point and thank you so much for making it and I do look forward to picking this conversation up again in a few weeks my thanks to Fred Logue specialist in planning and environmental law. we need to take a quick break stay tuned <laughs>